before we start, here's a message from one of our friends. In a world of video stores and late fees, when movies ain't what they used to be, one podcast will change the world. They will embark on a journey to look at the good and bad movies from the golden era of home video. And things are about to get nostalgic. The VHS will rise and the screaming will fall. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dave, this has got to be the worst promo I have ever heard. No, it isn't. If you're going down the route of the video trailer, man, Dave, I want a training montage. Coming soon on a podcast near you. If you listen to one podcast this week, then you're probably listening to Joe Rogan. But if you've exhausted all other podcasts, then the VHS Strikes Back is one to try. Welcome to the show where people share their passions. Everyone is geek about something. I am your super dummy Paul on a mission to learn from people's experiences. This is Era of Geek. A warning before we begin that today's guest has the sort of voice that will hypnotize you, so be prepared. They'll be taking us for a history of their interests and views on the world, and we have a discussion about the importance of writing and storytelling. But let's hear from them. Hello, my name is Ada McCartney. I am a poet, artist, teacher, uh, performing artist uh, based in Tempe, Arizona. I'm hail from Michigan. I write books, I've produced and been in plays, and um, if you know me, you probably, you probably know me. If you don't, look me up. <laughs> I was looking for your works, for your website, and you have many wonderful works of a varying degree you have poems you have writing you have stories you've been on stage you did a tedx mm. I mean, these are some wonderful things so uh, how does it feel to be sort of be able to express yourself in so many different ways because so many of us are kind of stuck in a path it must be freeing to be able to go off in different directions that's a beautiful question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, at this moment, I think it's a it's a privilege. It's it's wonderful. However, I think when it comes to that sort of you know pick a career, pick a direction, pick one thing to do, I struggled with that. I think um, because. In, I'll start with something, I'll get really interested in, you know, writing a play and producing a play. So I'll get very into that and I'll do that. And then it's done and I'm done with it. I'm ready to kind of try something else for a little while. Um, and sometimes I wish that I were more of the kind of person who could really deep focus into a thing and, you know, really kind of hone in on that and become an expert in it. And I would say when it comes to writing, that writing and teaching are two things that have been, that have remained consistent over probably the last 15 years, mm. but everything else, it's kind of, 
like, oh, I'll get really into it for a while and then I'll want to go try something else. Um, so I think it's a lot of fun and kind of a gift, but also I try to, I have to sort of check myself before I wreck myself when it comes <laughs> to like <laughs> focus and um, being consistent and, and following through on projects too. Uh, is one of the thing is one of those things that's not it's not a natural gift um like following the single path all the way till it ends somewhere I'll say oh here's a nice detour let me take this over here here's a scenic overlook I'm gonna go this way for a while and don't always get back to the main path hmm and I guess it there must be that the things that you follow through they must mean more to you because you've you it is easier to sort of divert yourself and it's almost i mean there's i'm sure there's a lot of amazing projects that have kind of left half finished but also it's kind of a brain's way of saying actually this is this is really speaking to me mm. i think so i think so and then i would say just in the last two or three years i've invested a lot of time and effort into saying no to things or like being willing to kind of leave a project half finished if it's if it doesn't seem like something that I really want to put time or energy into or if it becomes more draining than energizing or you know um rather than kind of I think I used to have the tendency to sort of feel like well I started this I have to finish it and one of the gifts of getting older and realizing that I'm grown and I can let stuff like that go is um, is realizing that if it's draining, if it doesn't, if it doesn't fulfill me, if it's not, you know, satisfying, then I can I can leave it half finished. It can be it can be something that doesn't happen, um, and that's okay. So that's that's pretty wonderful. And I would say to your point the things that do get finished do tend to mean more, I think, that way. It must be a really nice place to sit at, but also it must be frustrating in some ways because you probably do have, I guess, that idea of what could have been with all these things that kind of weren't speaking to you at the time, but you look back and think, but maybe I should pick that up. Where could I take it? All the time. Um, and And some things I think we'll just just need to marinate for months or years mm. like um i've been for the last nine months or so kind of in the background working on this um it's kind of a research project with Di the late beat poet diane de prima and um she and amiri baraka uh aka leroy jones had started this newspaper for a while called the floating bear and it was a very short-lived thing, um, but it was all about the idea of like newspaper as mutual aid. So I've been kind of dabbling in this research project of like the poet as publisher and kind of the meaningful aspects of publishing a newsletter that isn't necessarily for sale, mm. um, kind of the work and the role that, that a newspaper, a newsletter does in a community. Um, and it's been on the back burner for about six months. Like, like I have a shelf of 
books and a couple of notebooks full of notes, a couple of typed bundles, and they're just sitting there and that's okay for now. I have, and I, I know it'll come back and I know it's going somewhere. I don't, I don't know where it's going. It might stay in a pile of notebooks forever, (laughs) but I have this sort of idea that at some point the fog will clear or there'll be kind of a next iteration. Um, Like for example, I was in San Francisco in May and it was really feeling stagnant. And I was just kind of walking through the city with no real agenda. I was just, I just like to kind of go on rambles and walk for, for a day. And I came to the San Francisco public library and on a whim, I walked in and I just started walking around the library and kind of seeing what, what I felt drawn to. And I found myself on like the seventh floor in the rare book room. And I was like, well, I've never been inside of a rare book room. This is intriguing. I'm just going to go in. And I asked the guy at the desk and Diane De Prima had lived in San Francisco for um, the majority of her life. So I asked the guy at the desk if he had any works by De Prima, any like zines or little books. Lo and behold, he had a stack of zines as well as this um, extremely rare chapbook that she had written and published on the occasion of having been asked to abort Amiri Baraka's child. Um, And she'd written about this book in a memoir that I'd read and written in the book that she didn't think any copies of this book existed anymore. And so I I just had this whole day with that chat book. And for a few weeks, the project kind of like reopened and I had some direction and it made, you know, it made sense. And then I went on to other things. Um, So that's a very long rambling way to say that I think that projects just kind of have to take on lives of their own, especially the creative, creative endeavors in order to really sort of end up where they're supposed to end up. Wow. I I think my brain would just get lost. I don't think if I left something for that long, I think it would be lost in my brain forever. I don't think I could pick up those trails. <laughs> I, I, I don't think my brain works that way. <laughs> That's fair. So this, the idea of the show is to kind of look at, um, look at the word geek and the stereotypes associated with it. Um, so I was wondering what, what your thoughts are to your experiences. What, what do you think you geek out about? Hmm. Current me really geeks out on a few things. Um, the first one being menstruation in the moon and kind of like the correlations between my body and where the moon, where the moon and the cosmic bodies are in relation to kind of where I am in that in my menstrual cycle and noticing correspondences nor noticing um noticing like how I feel at different times and and sort of tracking that and in a similar vein um food like cooking Mm. um I've been working on uh, a little food forest in my backyard for the last six years or so oh, wow. and um i'm really into 
uh, herbs and kind of creating very nourishing whole food tea um, sorts of things. I spend a lot of time reading recipes. And part of this is um, like, uh, how do you say? I geek out about it because um, I had a lot of health uh, struggles um, in the last decade. And then my partner got diagnosed with celiac disease. And so it was like these circumstances came and it sort of fueled the interest in the geeking out about nutrition, which led to kind of being more, um, more open to tuning the body to the moon. And it's sort of like is a rabbit hole. So I think when I think of geeking out, I think about like just the, the rabbit hole of a particular topic and the further in that you go and the more little trails lead off to little warrens of interest. Mm. What else do I geek out about? Books. Um, yeah, I love a voracious, voracious reading of, of everything from mysteries to poetry to um, comics more late, more and more lately. Um, those are, those are the big three, I'd say big three or four. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's not a, stereotypical niche that you found for yourself <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> so looking at, at the comics because the wonderful tony was the one that connected mm. us again i hail you tony because you have put me in contact with so many amazing people so comic books is kind of the the connection that brought us together where where did that start for you oh i'm really i'm glad you asked um I was just thinking I had a one of my first not a comic at all but I had an illustrated Edgar Allan Poe book as a kid that I was pretty obsessed oh, wow. with um but my in particular my love of comics I was talking with um Mike on Genuine Chit Chat the other day and he he asked a similar question and I answered it and then, you know, I'm lying in bed the next night and I was like, oh my goodness, my answer was wrong. It actually started <laughs> earlier than I thought. <sighs> Mike's going to be really so funny. upset with me. <laughs> um, but I really think it actually started in high school. Um, my uh, adoptive brother, Sid, um, introduced me to Love and Rockets. Um, oh, wow. He had the whole collection and... I'd sit, um, I'd sit on his floor and his papa's on, um, and he'd be like, we'd be jamming on some industrial music or some like nine inch nails. Maybe he would kill me if I said nine inch nails, it would probably, probably more likely be nomium or like a uh, coil. Um, and, uh, and I just be reading love and rockets and that's what I, that's what I do. Uh, a lot of Saturdays you'd find me there. Um, but then that was kind of like a very, it was like, that was what I did in that space. I didn't really connect it with like seeking out comics in the mm. library. But then I met my partner, Tony, who had just an outrageously wonderful collection. And I'd spend hours sitting in his apartment while he was at work reading through the Watchmen, um, V for Vendetta, um, all of the Marvel comics on his shelf. And I really started to get into it there. Um, and... Um, 
my first Comics in Motion interview, uh, the second one I talked about Saga, the Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn um, series that to this day is probably my favorite, the favorite comic that I've ever experienced. Um, and Catherine, Catherine M. Valente would be the other intro that my first experience on Comics in Motion, Tony invited me to interview her with him. And um, we talked refrigerator monologues, which up until that experience, I wouldn't have realized, I wouldn't have necessarily considered a graphic novel or an indie comic, but every chapter has an illustration. So it, it kind of is. So that's, that's kind of my introduction where it overlaps. I think, I think there's a lot of cool intersecting between the world of comics, poetry and theater. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's kind of my niche when it comes to comics, the, where the three kind of intermingle and get a little messy. <laughs> Is that, do you think that's why maybe it spoke to you when you were older, more looking for more stuff rather than when you were younger, because you have, I guess, that more rounded experience in the different types of writing that there are, and it started to connect in your mind. Ooh, I like that. I've never thought about it that way before, but maybe. Um, that very well could be. I know that I initially, I initially maybe didn't think that I liked comics a whole lot because I thought they were all superheroes and like very manly, masculine fighting things. Um, so as my world kind of got opened up to like Love and Rockets and uh, the the possibilities of and also I would say I've become a lot more open to what a story that is on the surface a war story or a story about fighting can really be about um so yeah I think I think being more open and having having experience in different types of writing set the stage for that mm. I could use a theater pun <laughs> I do think that's right, because obviously, you know, you can look at a lot of these stories, even superhero ones, like you say, and on the surface of it, it's like, you know, strong man beats up criminal. But often it's about, I think, like someone like Tony, what he finds in it is all those, the stories that are running underneath and the meanings and sort of the things that I guess in some ways you can only really appreciate as you get older and you have more experiences to relate it to mm -hmm. exactly exactly i just attempted to teach the saga series in a class uh, a liberal arts studies class for adults called the adult learner and um the first iteration of the class everybody loved it everybody thought it was great a wonderful book to have in the class and and really got into like the life lessons and saga opens up with a woman giving birth. They're in the midst of this cosmic war, two people from opposite sides fall in love and have a baby. And then in this current iteration of the class that I just taught, maybe a third of the people were really into it. And then a third were kind of like, oh, whatever. <laughs> 
And then and the the final third of the class was just like, I don't, I don't understand why we're reading this. There are graphic depictions of sex. There are graphic depictions of violence. It doesn't seem to have any life lessons. Like I can't relate at all. Um, and I found that really interesting. It was a really interesting challenge because of course I want to be like, you're wrong. Um, But sitting in the seat of the teacher, uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say, Oh, you're wrong. I would instead try to pose questions and kind of Hmm. tease out like, why are you reacting so intensely to this? Like, what about it is bothersome? What can we learn from this? Um, so I wanted to I wanted to teach this comic book in this class to sort of to really kind of dig in to use literature as a gateway to all of these social issues that it addresses. Mm. And um and I think my assumption was oh we're we're all adults. This will be great. We're going to get it. We're going to have great conversations, but the reality was not as such. Um and it was a learning experience for me to experience all of these students who were who very much did not think that it was a relevant worthwhile story related to actual social issues happening in the world so yeah we've got some work to do in that <laughs> in yeah. that vein yeah the the it's interesting i try and say this without being impolite to certain people the inability to sort of see the world around for what it really is and to sort of have a little i don't want to say narrow-minded but kind of narrow-minded <laughs> Mm-hmm. like that there's a lot going on in this world and you know sometimes we just need to have a look at experiences and how they we can learn from them i think to to bring it back to geeking out i think i i really geek out on the fact that art and literature can be a gateway into understanding other points of view and and really kind of looking at looking at these issues and looking at what's happening through a lens that isn't, you know, the six o'clock news or isn't Mm. productivity or facts, but really kind of short circuits all of that and takes us straight to empathy and experience and the feels level of, of the situation. I'm curious what outside of comics, do you, do you remember sort of the first, thing in general that you geeked out about yes <laughs> is this really embarrassing before we go <laughs> um i mean maybe but i've already i've already written about it uh, pretty <laughs> extensively so it's, I, don't, I don't know i guess i have a pretty high threshold for embarrassment um <laughs> i the first thing that i really really geeked out on um I used to be obsessed with Barbies and playing Barbies, but okay. I would geek out about building the perfect forts for said little communities of Barbies. So I would spend hours and hours arranging boxes, arranging like sticks, um, finding the perfect spot in the woods, clearing the ground, arranging like flower branches and um, various little like acorn cups and whatnot and creating these elaborate um very temporary forts um and i think i think i that i would i really geeked out on that but i think it was kind of a a gateway to 
sort of thinking about um, to another a thing that I still geek out about, which is thinking about environment and the effect mm-hmm. of environment on myself and people in general um, and kind of what what makes an environment perfectly habitable or perfectly inhospitable. Um, and I, I still to this day will put a lot of an embarrassing amount of time and energy into like rearranging my office if I'm if I'm stuck or if I'm not really if I need to like think something through I move furniture or I rearrange a bookshelf or I like go through and kind of will cat like take the physical objects and instead of all of the poetry books being together I'll kind of like put them together in categories of interest or like other random pairings um i don't i don't know if that really now that i think about it i don't know if it really counts as geeking out but it's something that i put a lot of time and energy and thought into it's interesting that you were doing it sort of so young as well was it a conscious thing of i want to find the environment that this barbie belongs in or was it sort of granulated like that or um as an adult through the lens of some really good therapy i've realized that it was probably initially um a way to exercise some like control over what maybe seems uncontrollable or like to have some a sense of like creating the environment visualizing and creating an environment that I would like to be in when maybe things in the actual environment are a little tumultuous. Um, so I think the roots of it are, are very much in that, in that vein. Um, I guess I'm just wondering, can geeking out about something stem from stem from like a coping mechanism or stem from something else? Like what I'd be curious about the origins of the things people geek out about. A lot of people say it's, it's all about escapism, isn't it? Mm. that's the biggest thing that people always say is that's what speaks to them it's, it's the escapism and it's whether or not you're you know you're finding the perfect environment for your barbies or you're looking to batman to help get rid of all the criminals or you're looking <laughs> for star trek to find brave new worlds it's it's all about escaping something in your mind mm. I would say I geeked out about Star Trek pretty early. I used to watch a lot of Star Trek with my dad. It was our 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 bonding thing. And Captain Jane, I still go to Captain Janeway when I'm feeling stressed out today to this day. I mean, she is a boss. She's the boss. <laughs> the boss. <laughs> and where would she be without Chakotay? Yeah. Yeah. That show was so far ahead of its time. <laughs> Oh, in so many ways. Mm. Does it still feed through into the things that you write about now? I mean, this idea of trying to pick apart the world and describe your, you know, the world around you and find out where things belong. Is that, does that theme still run through? Definitely. Definitely. I would say, um, it's funny. I was just reading this, like, uh, one of those clickbait type articles about how if you're a writer people talk and you write about the same thing over and over 
it's considered redundant. But if you're an artist and you're painting the same thing over and over, you're refining your vision. And I thought that was interesting because I, I definitely, in theater, in poetry, in in the paintings and collages that I make, I think the same themes are always being regurgitated in different variations. Um, the uh, the full length manuscript of poetry that I wrote for my master's thesis that I'm currently shopping around is probably ninety percent sort of um, thinking about environment and ecology, both in terms of the outer and then sort of how how it's connected to and in relationship with the inner. So thinking about like epigenetics, intergenerational trauma, the environment that my grandmother and great grandmothers lived in and how that sort of filters through my body and my experience of living in uh, the Sonoran Desert, which is very different than Bavaria, which is where my mother's mother um, or my mother's grandmother was um, born. So it's like kind of thinking through all of that and trying to make sense of it and also maybe make, I say make sense of it, but I really mean just like thinking with it because it doesn't, I don't feel like it needs to make sense. I think that's our very human um, compulsion to make things make sense, but really not everything has to make sense or be comprehensible in our, in the way that our small brains would like it to be. So, so really kind of thinking with, uh, with the environment and with the external and internal ecologies and really, I think endeavoring to find um, to find and create harmonies between the two, and also to sort of sit with the tensions and think with the tensions and the violences, and kind of I don't know at, at the risk of sounding more woo-woo than necessary, um, do some like metaphysical healing with it all. Hmm. No, it's a good way of thinking about it because it's it's easy to kind of say I guess the simplified version of what you're saying is like you could sit there and say this is a problem I need to fix it whereas you could say this is a problem how do I live within it it's true and like and then the third option of this is a problem for me but isn't necessarily a problem for everybody else like if mm. this is a problem for me what what is that saying about me? What, what can I like, what can I examine within that? Are there shifts that I make in myself so that it's less of a problem? Like, mm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. It's like, like you say, it's moving your office around to help you live <laughs> in that environment because this is the problem that you found. This is the mm -hmm. bits that you can control. So see what you can do within that. Mm hmm. I'm curious as to how you then view like this idea of escapism, the way that you sort of see your environment. It's not, how do I escape this? It's how do I adapt myself and how do I control what I can control? So mm -hmm. the, I, do you see this idea of escapism in comic books, for example, do you see it in the same way? I don't, I don't know. I, I know that as much as I, talk about and like to think that I practice harmonizing with my environment rather than escaping from it. I do love a good healthy dose of escapism. 
some of my favorite escapes are novels such as Jacqueline Winspear's Maisie Dobbs. Um, I really like to escape into the world of movies for an afternoon or some anime. Um, okay. And that that is just purely like, yes, let's go live in this other world. Enjoy the soundtrack. Music. I would say music is another form of escape. Um, before before COVID, before of all of kind of before it got dangerous to be in extremely crowded places with mm. a lot of other sweaty bodies. Um, I I love to escape into the world of a music festival or an extremely crowded club in the wee hours of the morning and just dance my ass off. Um, I think that. And, I, and that's like, I don't know, There, there's like the escape where we leave our body, right? And where we really, truly like go inhabit another world. But then I, I also really like the escape where I'm like very much present in and with my physical body, but fuck all everything else that's going on in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's just like me and the beat and all of these other sweaty bodies or me and the beat and like myself in my room is also mm. a pretty good, pretty good one. So I think, yeah, I, I love a good healthy dose of escapism. Also, like the bathtub is is one of the favorite. I don't know if that's escapism because that's more of like a daily meditation you sit in the like sit in the warm water and the like you escape into kind of the womb and mm -hmm. everything sort of melts away and dissolves in the water um there's that that's probably a little different but but more of the same yeah it's the it's a different method of getting to a similar place mm, mm -hmm. it seems like you've created a certain amount of self-awareness around yourself and what you can, what you can control, what you can't control, what you need to be able to do that. Um, where do you think that's, where do you think that's come from? Is that from exploring the world in writing and reading and being able to understand things, especially like you say, geeking out about understanding things more and more? I think that's definitely part of it. Um, I think probably those the evolution of those abilities um can probably most heavily be credited to um a robust therapy practice and um some really some really focused uh focused work like i don't i don't think it's just sort of like happenstance that these that these things have occurred because of writing i think i think that the practices the contemplative practices of writing and making art and sort of practicing uh harmonizing with the internal and external worlds certainly lend to that and certainly inform it um but i also think that um getting sort of really deep into the eight limbs of yoga and the, and therapy and kind of focused like psychological work have informed the the other practices if that makes sense mm. so there's there's some there's some middle ground there but i think they i think they inform each other yeah i think my mind is 
I've tried to do writing in the past, but I think the best way to say it is my mind is too messy. My mm. mind is far too messy for that. <laughs> How is a mind too messy for writing? Because it makes sense to me, but to no one else. <laughs> but isn't that the very reason that one would write to demessif to like I don't know same why I've never heard somebody say that their mind is too messy for writing. Does it have to make sense to other people? Well, no, I guess in in that sense, if you're just, if you're writing for, for yourself, no, Mm. I think, yeah, if, if I was writing something for other people to read, I don't think it makes any sense to anyone. So that was just to illustrate your point that I do think they kind of do go hand in hand that the the ability to sort of, I don't know, organize your thoughts in certain ways and to be able to understand things and to be able to, um, to write the world as you see it. I think that being able to explain things in words that someone can understand takes a certain amount of, self-understanding as well if that sentence made any sense makes perfect sense it's like any other craft it requires significant practice to sort of make any any headway in um because it's one thing it's interesting that you say that because i never i've religiously kept a journal since i was like probably seven or eight and i've writing has always been that's what I thought it was interesting. You said it's your brain is too messy to write because for me, journaling and writing has always been the most surefire way to kind of make what's up here, make any sort of like to make sense of the mess or to like think with the mess. And so it stops being so loud and crazy up mm. here. The writing is sort of a direct route to making it more manageable to be in my brain. Um, and it wasn't until much, much later that, um, that it occurred to me that that could be something that I shared with people or that anybody else would even care about, or that like you could write for someone other than yourself in your journal. So what was it that sort of made you sort of have that change in mindset that this is something that, that you could do? Um, when I was in high school i had a couple of um teachers who i was in i was in like band and on the newspaper and we had like a little theater club going and um one of the teachers started introducing me to slam poetry and it was sort of like all of the things I was interested in made really entertaining and shiny in one three minute package. Um, and it was, and it's like just competitive enough that it caught my attention. Um, so I got very, very into slam poetry and, um, and competing as a slam poet. Uh, and I did that through high school and, um, and into college a little bit. And then once I got into university, I r- discovered the massive world of like writing for stage, writing novels, writing poetry for the page and kind of just started 
trying things um, and seeing what felt right and what stuck and what felt successful and what was an abject failure um, and kind of going from there. So have, what do you think sort of your direction then in writing? What, what speaks to you the most? Um, still and, and consistently poetry. Yeah. It's always kind of at the end of the day, come back to verse and lyrics. I'm not, I'm not much of a linear storyteller. Um, I think my friends and family could probably vouch, vouch for the fact that when it comes to telling stories, I, I don't get to the point very easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, as, um, as much as I love to read novels, my my most natural and most sort of passionate um, work comes out of verse and putting things into into lyric and really working from like sort of an image image place versus a narrative place, if that makes sense. Mm. Poetry's always fascinated me because it is again it is the certain mindset it's a certain way of the brain working that you putting imagery into words in a certain structure and making it so seamless and beautiful it's it fascinates me that people just can seamlessly do it i'm like okay e. E. cummings has this um it's like a letter to young poets or something it's a poem but in it, he talks about how the whole thing is kind of like, I'm going to paraphrase and totally butcher E.E. E. Cummings, so prepare yourself. Um, <laughs> he's like essentially saying the hardest thing that you can possibly do is, um, is endeavor to write poetry because poetry is all about um, accessing and expressing your feeling and when you are feeling something you are totally yourself versus when you're thinking something you're like a composite of all of the other people experiences whatnots that you come into contact with but in order to write a poem you have like a successful poem as E. Cummings would call it you have to access the most honest level of feeling within yourself and then express it through you know image link language sort of whatever um and make it comprehensible somehow and he's like mm. if you can do that once or twice in your life then that is a great success and if you you know if this sounds too hard go do something easy like blowing up the world or something but if this work is interesting to you like be a poet and i always um i don't know that sticks with me ever since i've read it because I sort of think that's the essence that and like just a love of words and language and playing with like linguistic structures. I think that's kind of my nexus of geekdom. Mm. Yeah. Cause you must have to be able to do it so successfully. You must have an understanding of a hyper understanding really of language and words and the way that things come together and, but also just the way that it interacts with people's minds as well, because it's not just saying something, it's about saying something in particular ways that invoke particular feelings. Mm -hmm. 
and there's like the surface level of meaning there's the way that like and then there's like the way that it sits on the page the way it looks on the page but I've always felt that poetry even if it's on the page is meant is meant to be orated it's something that's meant to be allowed heard felt resonating in the body so it's like how does it sound sonically like how does it how do the words feel in your mouth what do they like what do they mean on the surface what is their definition but then what is their like etymological history like what's the sort of underlying definition what words do they come from like what's the what's the uh i don't know for lack of a better term epigenetics of a word um or a phrase and um i just i love thinking into and playing with all of that it just you saying that brought back horrible memories of me in school and um the teacher looking at me and saying what does the structure of this poem on the page mean about the poem and i just looked at him blankly i said i no idea don't know i haven't got a clue what you're talking about that line's longer than that line i don't know and that was kind of that was my unfortunate experience with poetry in school <laughs> Oh man, I want to know why that, like, why that teacher asked that particular question, and what, and why, why that question, like, scared you. Was it just that you didn't know? Yeah, I think it was because that also ended up being in um, in the exam that year, um, and it was just the idea of. I don't think it's been anything that we discussed, and they just came to up and said, "What does the structure of this poem mean?" I don't know. What can it mean? It's, it means that this, these are the words that were written in this order and with these line breaks in this particular order. I don't know. <laughs> Did you feel like there was a right answer you were supposed to know? Yes. Mm. Versus a myriad of like, like, what are the possibilities? What can line breaks mean? What mm. can the structure of a poem mean? That's a cool discussion. But when it's like, there's a right answer and you clearly don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's no good. Yeah. And I, I think that is a, it must be something that you compete with as a teacher, because it, there is a mindset in certain, I can only really speak for this country, but in certain ages, the way that certain things are taught, you're taught, you're teaching kids for the exam at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And so there must be so many people out there that are kind of don't understand so many things because they're only asked, what does the structure of this poem mean? But as you say, there, there's so much more to it than that. It must be so frustrating as a teacher because you must see sort of the end result of people coming through that and not appreciating the possibilities. Oh, definitely. And I think, um, I think ultimately that is a large contributor to my feeling that I am not cut out to teach children. Um, I taught theater and creative writing K through 12 for almost 10 years. And then I spent, um, five years working in a high school teaching, uh, special education um and 
I always struggled because like in theater and creative writing, not so much, but definitely in like a high school classroom, you're teaching to test, you're teaching to write answers. There's one particular way that the school or the curriculum wants these students to do something. And so often it doesn't resonate with the way that they think their cultural values, like all kinds of things. And so often when we're taught that there's only one way to do things or one right answer, Mm. that's not true. And that's not the case. Um, So I really struggled in a high school setting with my own sort of rebellious need to be like, no, (laughs) there's not one way to do this. It's okay if you don't pass the test. Like there are other, there are other possibilities, um, which was really kind of at odds with my job. Um, but I found teaching in university, um, that frust- the part that's frustrating is when people come in with this idea that like, okay, I'm here to learn what's on the test and pass the test. I don't want anything else out of this class. Like, I don't, I don't care about big ideas. I don't care about expanding blah, blah, blah. I don't care about liberal arts. I'm here to pass this test, get this degree, make more money, which is great. Like, yes, absolutely. I totally support that. And education can be so much more. Um, so, yeah. But, and that also does sort of speak to, like, the way that you talked about comic books. Um, and as we were saying before, sort of as you were, when you were younger, you found this particular one. You enjoyed it, but it wasn't until you got older with those experiences, the ability to see more that you kind of appreciated it and i think that can speak to so many things in life that once you get that bit older and you get out of the confines of life as a child (laughs) (laughs) and you Mm -hmm. can see things differently that's true um that's so true and and just being able to like like when we're young we're so self-centered and some of us grow out of that. It's like some of that comes with maturity and some, some of us don't. Um, and I feel very fortunate for the, the small ways that I have grown beyond that sort of like youthful narcissism of like, I'm the center of the universe. Um, mm. And of course, there's a long way to go. So um, you said you sort of your, the things that you geek about now while back in the conversation back to the thing we said earlier um how much do you find your your geek interest changing and developing how often do you sort of flow between things oh it really depends um the uh compulsion to move furniture around my immediate space whenever i'm having a creative or emotional block has remained consistent since i was a child like that that has not changed despite my efforts to change it um even uh but on the other side of that i think um there was maybe five years where it was all about yoga there's like another four or five years where you know teaching theater was everything um and then i just sort of lost interest same thing with slam poetry i think um in i'd say high school and early college i thought 
that I was going to do slam poetry forever and that I was going to like become a professional at it. And, you know, Saul Williams, myself all over the world touring and opening for bands as a a spoken word poet. And like, maybe someday, maybe that's in the possible future. I'm not going to rule that out. So it would be cool as hell. (laughs) But at a certain point I got kind of just, it just didn't appeal anymore. Um, sometimes it's a matter of years sometimes like with the uh with the deprima projects i'll work on it very intensely for a few months and then okay we're done it's just gonna marinate for six or seven months and then maybe we'll come back to it so it really varies to to provide a total non-answer to your question (laughs) um sort of a going with the flow and seeing what seeing what evolves and trying trying not to force things but again, uh, again, going back all the way back to an early thing that kind of it must be quite freeing in that you're not tied to something. You're happy that if your brain is happy to move on, then you just move on. Yeah, I'm very, very lucky that I can't that I have the freedom to do that. Um, mm. I think. Ooh, yeah. Um, and a lot of kind of letting go of the shoulds and the like there's this narrative that like if you start something you should finish it um that i think was very very tied to my midwestern farming upbringing our like country sort of like small town diy country roots is like if you start a project you're going to finish that project and at a certain point i was like you don't know Mm -mm." I don't, I don't actually have to finish that project if it doesn't, if it doesn't appeal to me anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and then there are things like I end up with a half finished gardening project that sits for a couple of years and would be totally unsightly to my father. He, he's going to visit in a few weeks and I'm fighting the compulsion to just go out and like beautify the yard before he gets here. Like make my garden look finished because it's very much not. But then the other part of me is like, you know, no, like it's okay. <laughs> if this doesn't please your dad when he comes to visit, it's going to be okay. What would your your message be to people who are who are kind of struggling with that? Because it is it is natural to kind of get tied up in something and think that, like you say, this this is what I need to do. I need to finish it, or I'm working on this. I need to finish this, or this is my hobby. I need to finish this cross stitch otherwise it's going to kill me what what would your message be to people to kind of be able to let that go and embrace things that they enjoy and they want to geek out about and go for it i would have to say what my partner says to me constantly which is follow your energy follow your energy and also No is a complete sentence is another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It just, it's new to me, the like, the idea that no is a, can be a complete sentence. Um, So what what happens if you just say no and then follow your energy? That's that's the, the message that I'm working with right now. You can find more from Ada on their website, aamccartney.com, where you'll find a selection of links to our other podcast appearances, 
and a selection of her writing that you can explore. You can follow Ada or contact her on her social media at AA underscore McCartney. As always, links are available in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You can contact the show at Era of Geek on social media or head to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. If you like the show, please do leave a review and tell your friends. You can also leave a review on podchaser.com. <laughs>